0: Welcome to our podcast, Healing Arts from the Borderland, organized by the Borderland Rainbow Center in El Paso, Texas. This is made possible through a grant for TASA, Texas Association Against Sexual Assault. And in this podcast, we provide cultural, spiritual enrichment to aid in healing in both this podcast as well as in workshops. Now, this podcast is for individuals in recovery, survivors, or for those who simply wish to be inspired by stories of resiliency. If you'd like to tell your story, please contact us at hstbgrant at borderlandrainbow.org. Or go ahead and feel free to check everything out in the links below. Now, my name is Amber, and I'll be our guide interviewing artists and healers and how they came to be and their struggles and how they're helping the community now. Now, real quick, before we get started, I'd like to do a simple ask from you. And that would be that if you enjoy these podcasts, if these stories lift you up in any way, that you go ahead and share this with people who you think that this could resonate with. It's one of the best ways for us to grow and to reach bigger audiences and to have more uh, interaction with people. So uh, without much further ado, let's go ahead and get started.
1: The strongest thing I think we can do is sit in that sorrow ask it if it wants to sit down.
0: Today we are joined by artist, activist, S.A.S.K.B. in a conversation about the power of language, moments of genius, and the discovery of self. Tell me who you are. Talk to me about how you've become this person. I did, I've done a little bit of research on you and read some of your work, and it's honestly amazing. Uh, thank
1: you. I appreciate that. My name is KB. I am a Black, queer, transmasculine poet, essayist, cultural worker uh, based in Texas. My origin story is one that is uh, long, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I am now actually visiting. I grew up on the east side of Fort Worth, Texas, which is really where they like kind of congregate all of the Black people in the city. I uh, grew up really humble beginnings. I started writing poetry really initially just to hang out with my friends. Like all of my friends went to this after school poetry society thing that they did at our very under-resourced high school and I wanted to hang out with them so I just started going with them and I think this teacher that uh, did the after-school budget society really just started planting seeds in me like if you want to participate you can if you want to sit there that's also cool but I like see something in you kind of thing and like teachers up until that point in my life because I was so quiet didn't really like interact with me much outside of just like lesson stuff and I remember like I don't know, at the time I was so bashful because I was kind of just like learning so much about my gender and my sexuality and feeling very awkward in my body, like, Everyone says that I'm a girl, so I'm trying to act like a girl, but I feel like I'm doing it wrong. And like Mm. people reinforce that in different ways around me. So I don't know. I was just very like inward. This teacher would be like, I see you. And like, you know, if you want to do this, you can, but no pressure. I just thought she was so cool. And I wanted to hang out. Finally, I had a kind of friend group for the first time when I was in ninth grade. So I just hung out with them all the time and then started writing my own poetry around 10th grade, stuck with it, stuck with it. Unfortunately, the person, the teacher that was the uh, teacher that after school approached society passed away when I was in high school. And for that reason, I don't know, I just stopped writing for a little bit, Mm. Um, but then like rediscovered it in college, in undergrad, I was at undergrad for a major that I shouldn't have been in. I felt a lot of pressure. They put a lot of pressure on you to decide a major. So I was like, well, I kind of st- am still figuring out what I want to do here, but I will take a creative writing class because I'm like, I haven't taken one in so long and haven't been around other writers in so long. And then I kind of like refell in love with poetry and started writing it again around that time. And then, I don't know, I didn't start thinking of myself as like a capital P poet really until I moved to Austin in 2018. That was on the heels of dropping out of a grad program that just wasn't really the right fit for me. I don't know, just like immersing myself into Austin culture I mean, we had at the time like a lot of open mics and reading series and things and like slams and things like that. So I would go to those things and be like, you know, if. I want to be a poet. I have all of the tools necessary to do that. I don't need a terminal degree in poetry in order to be a poet because mm-hmm. I was a poet when I was in high school and I didn't have none of that. I just started kind of doing my own thing and promoting my own work and like asking bookstores if I could perform there. And 2019 was really the year where I was like, I'm going to go for everything that I want. I continue to do that. And here I am. That's my poetry background. And I, I just started writing essays probably around this time last year, actually, because I was like, I have these rants and they're very, I started talking to other people around me that wrote creative nonfiction and I was like oh if I wasn't writing poems or if I wanted to write something that's not poems maybe i start doing that and I just started doing that and poetry and essay writing really too is the way that I kind of write myself into history a lot of people would like it if black queer folks black trans folks just didn't write ourselves into history but I'm, I'm resisting that and I'm also writing down the things that I see because I think that an artist is in a way kind of fossilizing experience in the same way in a different way than historians are but in the same kind of tradition where it's like if you want to know what the 1600s were like you can go read poems right about that and if you want to know even what the political landscape was like in the 1960s for instance you can go read poems by folks uh during that time so for that reason I find that poetry is like an archiving method and also a like learning about yourself kind of practice or it has been for me.
0: Talk to me about how, because you have a lot of intersectionality, I feel, how that's really helped you grow into the person that you are today and what that journey has been for you.
1: If I walk down the street since I've been very young, no one has ever thought of me as not Black. So I kind of had to learn that, (laughs) like had to learn what it means to be a Black person in America and in Texas and in these cities that I've frequented. And I've learned through other Black literature, Black folks and Black organizers and things like that, my own kind of definition, my own speaking about my Blackness in my work on my own terms, if that makes sense, and not feeling like I have to parade around what it means to be Black in front of like white people or something like that. Um, Because people can't make whole careers about That kind of thing, but I just don't Mm -hmm. want to. Because when I think of my Blackness, I want to think of something that is joyful, something that is mine, you know, and not somebody else's, and also something that I get to tell whenever I want to tell it. With, like, queerness, I feel like people expected me to be a certain way because I was a girl, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I resisted that just by like being myself all of the time. And it was very disruptive for like my family and also disruptive in like school settings where like people are like, why do you dress like that? Why do you talk like that? Why are you interested in these things? You're a girl. Mm -hmm. And like would try to call me names and all kinds of things like that. And it really got to me because I I did want to fit in as all kids want to fit in when they're younger. And being told all of the time that you don't fit in by everyone in your life, it just really weighs on you. But I luckily (laughs) surrounded myself in ninth grade with other people that also didn't fit in for different reasons. And I think that made me feel less shameful about myself and really made me lean into my queerness like in earlier days I was like oh I'm a, I'm a lesbian and like that's that's what this is right like that mm. is what makes me different than most of the people around me and I really believed that for a long time but then as I grew and as I kept growing over time and interacting with different folks and with all of this heightened sense of the internet that I've grown up in I started to learn new language And language that felt more impactful for me and being exposed to all different kinds of folks. I met other non-binary folks and I met trans masculine folks and I was like, oh, okay, so like this is actually maybe more of like who I am. I remember meeting non-binary folks for the first time and I was like, oh, I didn't even know this was an option. If I knew this was an option, I would have like decided this for myself a super long time ago. And now these days I identify as non-binary and transmasculine as well as queer because I think that my queerness changes depending on my attraction to folks definitely depends on the person. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, you know, fixed other kind of fixed terms uh, all the way express my desire. And also other fixed terms don't necessarily express my gender. Really have come to know myself is through, honestly, literature and community, like interacting with other people and just like being a person that scours the internet all the time.
0: It does sound like you use art In multiple ways, of course, Mm -hmm. but one of them is also to heal and to self discover. Would you say that that's true?
1: Absolutely. When I sit down to write, I think I learn more about myself. And I'm like reminded of the fact that genius exists. Though I don't believe necessarily in a fixed genius, like when people write something really well, like Toni Morrison, right? Who has written such profound literature. In her lifetime, I think it's moments of genius and everyone has moments of genius depending on what their skill set is. I mean, I think I'm reminded of that when I write. Really, I think my early teenage writings, as embarrassing as they are, were me figuring myself out. Like when I go and reread those things, cause I have like low self-esteem, a lot of those things got thrown away, but <laughs> the little things that I did keep When I go back and read that, I'm like, oh, I absolutely have the more fully formed thoughts that I have now back then, but nobody was around me that quite felt like me. Or if they were around me, they weren't voicing that. So I was just like very shyly, very like in a corner, writing myself into life in a way. So I definitely feel like a lot of healing happens with 15 year old KB that 26-year-old KB definitely sees and has benefited from.
0: Where do you feel you find your strength?
1: Strength, for me, when I hear the word strength, you think of like a specific, almost caricature. My strength comes in the form of asking for help, in the form of admitting to my wrongdoings, and in the form of being soft and understanding and honest with my partner and with my friends. I see those things as strength, though the outside world may not see it as strength, may see it as weakness, especially in male presenting people. They see you cry and they think that that is weak. But I think it's probably the strongest thing that we could do right now in the world of capitalism, wanting us to continue to produce all of the time and in the world of so much death and sorrow. The strongest thing I think we can do is sit in that sorrow and ask it if it wants to sit down, Mm -hmm. like really not run away from how we feel. I think. Of strength on the spectrum, these days I'm really trying to lean into softness Mm. and like not being strong because me as a black person, I'm always kind of taxed with being strong. And when I was perceived as a girl, especially like there's just a strong black woman kind of stereotype. So I felt as if all of my problems I had to figure out on my own and I was made to feel or like made to feel like I had to be strong all the time. Now that I'm inheriting this Black boyhood that I didn't necessarily ask for, but like definitely people perceive me as a Black man and I have to kind of like live with that. I'm being perceived in a like hyper masculine way, a hyper strong way. It's very interesting to kind of be on both sides of this binary that neither of which I, I wanted to be in. I feel like I'm taxed with being strong all the time. In my daily life now, I try to be softer. Where I found my voice, literary voice, which I do think is strong, I think I just found that in others. Mm -hmm. Really like other people around me embodying themselves through literature and other people around me validating how I felt and feeling validated by like other things I read where people were just telling their stories. That's really where I feel like my voice came to life.
0: What do you feel your healing with literature and essays, how do you think that that's taught you?
1: Being a writer and being in writing communities has taught me so much. Really, if I want to make sense of something that I feel, I definitely look to literature. As far as healing is concerned, I think that the things that I felt like were wounds as a child, queerness, Blackness, transness, were healed when I reached out to find myself in history and find other people talking about the things that I'm going through. In a way, I could find that on Twitter, (laughs) like on a Twitter thread. And I have before we think of Twitter as just as hellscape, which a lot of times it is. It is some good stuff on there if you are searching for it. But also in literary magazines and in books. Most recently, I read the book Heavy by Kiese Layman. He was talking about things that I just really haven't seen Black men or masculine people talking about in literature. Like weight fluctuation and depression and family relationships and how this kind of culture of masculinity can lead you to think that you can't be accountable to the things that you do or the things that you do are justified. I just felt like I learned so much from that, but I feel like also some part of me healed. It is not this idea of like manhood and manness is not so flat. Mm -hmm. We absolutely should be. And we would actually be better serviced by people being honest. And I appreciated that honesty in that book. See, here's the thing about trauma, or at least like the ways in which that it manifests for me. I am like... Content warning for mention of sexual assault. I am a childhood sexual assault survivor, and that clouds some of my memories of early childhood. But the things that I do remember feel so profound. I definitely remember literally the first day of school in ninth grade, I had this super girly, quote unquote, hairstyle. And I just, because I was so embarrassed by it, it just didn't feel like me. I felt like I did it for somebody else namely my family. I just felt so weird about it. So I just had on my hood all day. And every teacher I went to was like, you have to take your hood off. Yeah, like, oh, you have to take your hood off because dress code or whatever. The one teacher that didn't ask me to take my hood off was my Spanish teacher who also taught the after school poetry society. And I just remember her saying like I see you and maybe just saw kind of like the fear that I had in my eyes be at that moment. But maybe she meant something else. And I think about that a lot. I see you. Like even those three words, I felt like at that point in my life, up until that point in my life, I feel like nobody had ever said that to me. And it's just to be seen, right? Mm -hmm. To like be seen for who you all the way are and to feel like you can take down your walls, your hoods and not feel judged. It's a feeling that I want for everybody. And unfortunately, especially people like me, Black queer people and Black trans people, they can't get that at home. They can't get that in the institutions that they occupy, work, medical systems. They can't get that in a lot of ways. But a lot of my work is me trying to make sure that uh, more people can get that. And that's why I go so hard in my poems online. I have all these rants and in essays, I go so hard about sharing my experience because I know I'm not the only one that experiences this thing. And I also go so hard and like I'm not only an artist, I'm also like a consultant Mm -hmm. and I give workshops and things like that uh, past kind of like one on one level stuff more towards ending anti-blackness in systems and ending transphobia and queer phobia in systems because I think it matters a lot to be shifting culture, because if policy doesn't do it for us, we definitely can change the ways in which we treat each other. And I wish that more conversations like that were happening at my middle school and at my high school and at all of the jobs that I had before 2019, like the institutions that I had been a part of up until that point in my life. Like I just wish more of those conversations were happening so people could treat me and other people like I don't have all of the marginalizations, but more folks that experience marginalization just better because mm-hmm. it like it took me so long. I started taking hormone replacement therapy, testosterone, in December 2020 because I didn't feel safe to do it before then. I had those thoughts before then that I wanted to do this, but I just didn't really know how my family would react or Blah, blah, blah. Like, luckily, I was okay with like my friends at that point in my life. But at different points in my life, I didn't feel comfortable. And I want more people to feel comfortable with who they are and to have more people see them.
0: I think that there's a lot of people that exist, but don't necessarily have a chance to actually show who they are authentically. And I think that's a huge problem. Because we don't have the safe spaces or we don't have good allyship as well at times, I think. And, and so I know you do work with a community as well. You were mentioning right now, like you do workshops. What else do you do and what do you do and what has inspired you to do these things?
1: Yeah, good question. And I want to say before I answer this, I think we need more brave spaces and courageous spaces. Because it's this push for safe spaces, right? Like people have a lot of safe zone training and things like that. And of course, people need to feel safe. But people also need to feel brave enough to have tough conversations. And I think we as a culture are very averse to awkward conversations. And I'm really interested in that. I'm interested in changing that, which is why I try to publish the essays that I publish and poems that I publish and do the workshops that I do. None of us want to not know something, so we just continue to not know it. That's very interesting to me. Over time, I've definitely done a lot of different types of activism, organizing, and advocacy. I founded two nonprofits during my time being in Austin. One is Interfaces, uh, Still Going, Still Amazing, org that merges arts and social justice in the sense that like, uh, the mission statement is kind of to nurture and amplify marginalized artists through arts education and performances that are cognizant of inclusion, diversity, equity and accessibility. Also founded Embrace Austin, which is like a queer and trans coalition to get more queer and trans organizations in the same room talking to each other so we can do more collaborative work towards a queer and trans inclusive Austin, Texas, and hopefully world. Now, these days, I am just very much on a art-based advocacy, activism, and organizing kick in the sense that like, I want my art to be paired with the work. I'd love to just see more think tanks and organizing and activism that have artists in the same room as policymakers, in the same room as lawyers, in the same room as event planners and things like that. I actually feel like art should be more of a focal point of the movement work that we do Mm -hmm. and not just making the posters. That's a great example but I'm like documentaries about the movement folks they're creating the chance and folks going to these museums going to these open mics actually talking about the issues because one thing I can convince more people to go to an open mic than I can convince them to go to a city hall and for that reason art is just more popular just point blank period Than organizing and movement work people feel like they have too much to lose a lot of the times, but no one has anything to lose at the gallery opening. Maybe they should. I just want more art in spaces, in movement spaces, because I think that it could really unlock a lot. It could unlock so much more possibility, I feel. I am doing actually some art-based activism workshops this week, and all of the art projects that I do, I want them to have some kind of either philanthropic or other movement-centered kind of aspect to it. I just stopped this project called Winter Storm Project. It was about artists talking about Texas winter storm that happened last year. A really horrible Texas winter storm that literally is a man-made climate change. So had Austin, Texas artists submit to this anthology, paid all of them, and also all like 100% of the proceeds go to three Austin-based organizations that really helped out during the Texas Winter Storm and that also do just like long-term support around things like housing and education and uh, activism. So those are the kinds of projects that I want to do moving forward that have art and movement work in the same breath.
0: And well, speaking of projects, I know you recently released a chat book. And one of the things about this podcast is that we want to make sure that we're able to help support you. So talk to me a little bit more about that and where you can find it.
1: I have a poetry chat book that just came out. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, It's called How to Identify Yourself with a Wound. And it goes a little bit into what we've been talking about. There are identities that I have that a lot of the world would like me to think of as shameful, as things that I should change, or as unfortunate circumstances like Blackness and queerness and transness and also disability. And... I think that this chat book is me trying to talk about those things on my own terms and trying to embrace them as my own things. And those sentiments, fortunately, I've been able to heal from. And I hope that people that read it are also able to heal from them. And I talk about place, growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, and some of the experiences that I've had in Austin. My book is currently available. Anybody wants it to be available at, like you can look it up on Barnes & Noble, you can look it up on bookshop.org if you want to import any bookstores. You can also buy it directly through the publisher. Publisher is Callisto Gaia Press. And as far as merchandise goes, I do have some stickers that I sell. Specifically, folks can reach out to me on my website about that. E-A-R-T-H-T-O-K-B, so earth2kb.com. And that's also my tagline on every social media account, Earth2KB, at, if anyone wants to know more about my booking, like workshops and performances and other offerings, they can go to E-A-R-T-H-T-O-K-B dot com slash booking. And that has all of my areas of interest and every single thing that you could know about my qualifications.
0: What message would you want to send to somebody, somebody maybe questioning or like contemplating what their next step should be? Like, what's something you would tell them?
1: I would tell them that don't believe it when people tell you you can't do something. Because for many, many years of my life, people kept telling me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do in conscious and unconscious ways. And really all it took was one teacher, which, God bless teachers, they should definitely get paid more. One teacher telling me they saw me enough for me to get that little first boost of confidence to write. So really do your thing, and don't let nobody tell you you can't do your thing. And if you feel like you ain't got all the tools to do your thing, the internet is free, baby. And also I do (laughs) calls with people to really demystify what it means to write and do organizing work under capitalism. So even reach out to me. I would say you have everything that you need to do what you want. And what that is, is yourself. Like you have it.
0: I don't think that there's any other way to end this talk. Thank you so much for uh, taking this time with me. I
1: appreciate you for having me.
0: And thank you as always for joining us on these journeys. And as always, wishing you nothing with good vibes.